The reading of the Scriptures from Acts chapter 23, reading verses 12 to 35. I invite your reverent hearing of God's Word and faith as we find it here in Acts chapter 23. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed Paul. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor of Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that, they, um, that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the uh, great legacies of the Reformers is they uh, teach us uh, that part of the saving ministry of our 
great Redeemer is that He uh, saves us as our prophet uh, and our priest and our king. As, uh, as our great king, uh, Christ uh, wins victories for us. He protects and defends us. He restrains evil. And of course, He advances uh, His reign. Uh, as our priest, of course, Christ saves us in His work of redemption. But He also, as our priest, uh, goes before the Heavenly Father and uh, commends our needs to uh, the grace of God. As our prophet, he reveals the will of God to us. And we see each of these present in this uh, event before us in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I would uh, remind you that perhaps uh, in the reading of this text and the preaching thereof, that you can see a measure of your life as it is profoundly affected by the goodness of our Savior as prophet, priest, and king. Well, this is a plot, of course, to kill Paul. Uh, it's uh, formed by uh, devoutly religious people. Uh, and it's also frustrated by God who's all-powerful. Uh, the plot is in verses 1 to 22, and then... Uh, God will uh, work in uh, the life of uh, Roman centurions uh, to deliver Paul, verses 23 to 25. Uh, so we begin with the great truth that our king frustrates the plans of the wicked, verses 1 to 22. Uh, the enemy of the king plot to murder Paul uh, as a reminder to us that these men are totally and utterly corrupted by sin. Even though profoundly religious, they are uh, religious in uh, a terrible way uh, because they oppose the God whom they pretend to serve. Uh, you and I know this as the doctrine of total depravity and that men have an entire absence of holiness and an entire inclination to evil. And again, that's captured for us and the fact that 40 of them uh, engage in a vow to God, ironically enough, uh, to kill someone. Uh, totally contrary to their own law. Isn't that interesting? That religion really is perverted by these uh, corrupt men. Uh, again, the Jews had a presumptive loyalty to the law of God. How could they plot to kill uh, unless they were totally opposed to God. So they form a conspiracy. Uh, in the text, uh, verse 12 of uh, chapter 23, they take an oath. Uh, the word for uh, conspiracy is uh, highlighted, I think, by its verbal root, which really means to twist something together. Uh, so they're going to twist themselves together and bind themselves in this conspiracy to kill uh, one who belongs to God. Uh, they take a compact and seal it with an oath. Uh, it's very interesting that the word for oath is that which we, from which we have our English word anathema. Uh, it means to curse something, of course. Uh, in a sense, they are going to act uh, to curse the Apostle Paul. 
And uh, if they cannot affect that curse, they want to be cursed, uh, namely to harm themselves by not eating or drinking. Again, the irony is that they have dedicated and devoted themselves uh, by the name of God. Again, the irony is just uh, palpable, uh, but that's the way of uh, men that are evil and corrupt. Uh, Our Savior, as the great prophet, reminds us of events like this in the Gospel of John. If you would turn to uh, John chapter 16. Our Savior tells us in verses 2 and 3, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Uh, So, who knows what the future holds for uh, any of us, but our great Redeemer is reminding us that Uh, Sometimes men will corrupt religion, uh, even the religion of the Bible, thinking that they offer service to God when really they are in opposition to God. They also engage uh, in pretense with the commander to investigate uh, uh, Paul's case in order to ambush him. In that sense, they are taking God's name in vain because they are attaching the name of God to an evil cause. That's really what it means to take God's name in vain. I mean, I'm not unmindful of the fact that it's most often attached to perhaps cursing the name of God. Uh, But anytime you pledge to do something and you attach God's name to it, and you don't do it, then again, that's taking His name in vain, as well as uh, you attach His name to uh, a course that's evil. Uh, And again, they're conspiring uh, to murder and bear false witness. Again, incredible irony. Uh, These men uh, were, of course, uh, of the synagogue, uh, to use the words of the Apostle John, the book of Revelation, they're of the synagogue of the devil, uh, not the synagogue of uh, God. And we have to remind ourselves that those men are present everywhere uh, in the world today. Uh, But the the plot becomes uh, known to Paul's nephew by God's providence. Luke does not tell us how. But it's a remarkable act of God's providence that it becomes known. And it's a reminder to us that it is the way of God to intervene on behalf of His people. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to uh, a beautiful text that Uh, speaks to this very end, the book of Job. Job chapter 5, in verse 12. Job is recounting to us uh, the ways in which God oftentimes works to rescue his uh, sons and his daughters. Job chapter 5, verse 12, he frustrates the plotting of the shrewd so that their hands cannot attain success. In a verse that captures the entire theology of uh, this encounter uh, in Acts chapter 23. The literal meaning of the Hebrew word to frustrate is to break. So God's going to break their plans. 
They're going to try to break the Apostle Paul, and God's going to break them. Great irony of the way that God works. It's going to turn their plans against them. Psalm 33, verse 10. The psalmist tells us the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for His stretched out hand, who can turn it back? I mean, you and I understand that those are rhetorical questions. No one can turn back the hand of God. Uh, and uh, you and I also know that uh, God will turn His hand against those who seek to harm his sons and daughters. Of course, this is nothing more or less than uh, the majesty of God's character and his sovereignty. Uh, specifically, that he's going to intervene to frustrate the plans of the wicked and to protect his own. It's a very beautiful illustration of this uh, in my own mind, a text I'm sure for which you are familiar in uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15. I'm going to turn in your Old Testament to uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15. Uh, you and I know that contextually, uh, David has uh, sinned against God. And uh, while David is forgiven, it doesn't stop the consequences of sin. Because God's going to discipline his son. A reminder to us that uh, even though as uh, God's uh, sons and daughters, we are forgiven. Uh, God tells us in his word uh, not to sin against him uh, because there are consequences and part of those consequences are discipline. And God is going to take David through very severe discipline. And so there's a revolt by Absalom. What's interesting about that revolt is it's going to catch David in a time of incredible turmoil. But you and I also know something else. David is, that God has made a covenant with David. And God's word cannot be violated. And God is going to be faithful and true to his covenant. To the end that David is going to retain the throne. In the midst of profound discipline, in the midst of profound uncertainty, in the midst of profound danger. I would remind you that uh, uh, the great Trinitarian God uh, made a covenant in eternity past to bring all His own unto salvation. And to set that in motion by the actions of the Great Spirit. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can prevent that from happening. And woe to those who try to get in the way of the actions of God towards his sons and daughters. Again, the Davidic covenant cannot be abrogated by men. Uh, the threat, of course, uh, David is uh, very extreme. Uh, due to the serious defection of Ahithophel, uh, who is one of David's principal advisors. 
So Ahithophel was one of the closest advisors to David. Uh, he knows everything about him, how he acts, how he thinks. And so David understands what an extreme threat that it is that Ahithophel has defected uh, to the enemy. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15 and verse 31. Now someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. Isn't it interesting this time of danger? Uh, David uh, knows God's covenant to him, but he prays. Wonderful reminder to us of one of the great means of our faith to pray. And so David prays a very intense prayer to turn all of the wise counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And God intervenes and answers the prayer. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 14. Because there's another counselor to Absalom, and that counselor is going to win the day. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Well, how can that be? Well, you know, I know how that can be. It's because God is at work, and God is going to intervene in His presence. Notice what the text says. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel in order that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. So God's going to turn the counsel of Ahithophel to frustrate the plans of evil men. You and I know the outcome, verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and rose and went to his home, to the city, and set his house in order and strangled himself or hung himself. He was buried in the grave of his father. Ahithophel defected. A wonderful reminder to what happens to defectors, the causes of God. They will not come to a good end. And this is one illustration of that. It's a reminder that the good purposes of God in establishing His kingdom and setting everything in motion to glorify His Son cannot be thwarted. Men will try. The psalmist says, what is God doing as He watches uh, their actions? God is in heaven laughing. He's going to frustrate their plans. It's a great reminder if you're a Christian. You have aligned yourself with a cause and a calling that cannot be stopped or thwarted or frustrated. It's the right side to be on. If you're not a Christian, the text is warning you that you're on the wrong side. I would call upon you to uh, forsake your way and come to the Savior, confess Him and acknowledge Him. Uh, change sides, if you will, and come to the Savior. Both the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible read, uh, the Lord commanded to scatter or to break the counsel of Ahithophel. 
That's exactly what he did. The word of the Lord could not be stopped. It's reminded to us of two great actions of God, that God is transcendent. He is above everything. He is at the pinnacle of all of life. It's the Lord of glory. But at any point, he can will to intensify his presence and imminence. And that's exactly what he did in the council between Absalom and Ahithophel. God intensified his presence. He turned the words of Ahithophel against him. The advice of Ahithophel was rejected. So in all of the counsel of wicked men, God can manifest his presence, which he does, to protect his own. And all of their plots to evil will be like a grand boomerang that will fall back on them. How can that be? Because God is sovereign. Because God can intervene at any point. Even though he's omnipresent, of course, he can intensify his presence and intervene in the majesty of his eminence. What a great reminder to us to to walk in peace and hope and comfort. God is going to break the counsel of Ahithophel, and he does. And then sadly, very sadly, God breaks Ahithophel. I would remind you that uh, you and I face counsels uh, throughout our life. It's just a part of life. Uh, Maybe you turn in an application to go to a certain school. They're going to evaluate your records. You pray. Uh, Well, God is there. And the answer comes from the Lord for whatever reason comes from Him. Uh, Maybe uh, they're having a promotion at uh, your company, your firm, and there's a promotion board. You can't be there. They won't let you come. Well, that's okay. Your king is there. Uh, To will and to work his good pleasure. The comfort of the Christian. Uh, It's a reminder to us as Christians to do and to be the best we can, but ultimately things uh, are under the providence of God and that our God, our Savior, is king always manifesting his presence to protect his own. What a grand day it will be when uh, when the Lord comes again and someday we'll understand maybe why we didn't get that promotion or why we didn't get the job or uh, get into that uh, school. For some reason, God was at work and he'll tell us why and how. What a comfort that will be. Very interesting to me, one of the great fathers of the Protestant Reformation, as you know, was John Calvin. Uh, When the city council of Geneva uh, fired him, uh, his response uh, was, it comes from God, therefore it's good. I mean, that's theology at work. It comes from God, therefore it's good. That we walk by faith in good times and bad times knowing that he is working all things to our good. Isn't that the point of the great promise of uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28? For God is working all things to good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. All things. 
Even evil things, God is working for good to those that have been called according to His purpose. And then the great rhetorical question of verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's really the theology of 2 Samuel chapter 15. Ahithophel was against David, but nobody could really be against David because God was for him. Remind yourself of that text when you encounter difficult circumstances, as you will, even as a Christian you will. If God is for you, who can be against you? So that's the plot. Uh, These 40 men uh, engage in a conspiracy uh, to kill the Apostle Paul. Um, Let's look at the deliverance. Verses 23 to 35. Uh, Our king, uh, the great redeemer Christ, delivers Paul uh, by using a Roman commander. It's very interesting. One of the great uh, ascriptions of God in the scriptures is he's the Lord of hosts. Uh, That means he's the ultimate commander of the entire Roman army. And he's going to intensify his presence before a Roman commander to rescue the Apostle Paul. Uh, Again, you and I know that uh, uh, danger and deliverance go together. Uh, Really, one of the lessons of our text. That safety and God go together. The commander... uh, forms a rather sizable force to deliver Paul to the Roman governor in Caesarea. The irony that this man is a a Roman soldier, he's a pagan, uh, but he's more honorable and righteous than Paul's countrymen or religious leaders. And the commander is going to protect the citizens of Rome that's one of his sworn duties. In the providence of God, the Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen. Uh, that was an incredible privilege uh, in the world of Paul's day. You and I also know that uh, the enemy had a law to protect the accused. They're going to forsake their law and break their law, but God's going to use a Roman soldier to rescue the Apostle. So behind the scenes, God is moving upon uh, this Roman commander uh, to act to protect one that belongs to God. Uh, Again, another illustration of God's sovereignty and providence. Or another illustration that Christ saves us as our king. He's king over everything. Even the evil and the wicked. And of course, uh, every army and navy that's ever marched or sailed. Uh, It's also another illustration that God uses means. Uh, uh, It's very interesting to me that the Roman uh, army was uh, was made up of uh, legions. Uh, A legion was uh, comprised of uh, 60 uh, centuries uh, containing roughly 100 men. There was a legion and there was a cohort and then there was a sentry comprising some 100 men. 
this man is going to command two centuries to protect the Apostle Paul. Over 200 men, Roman soldiers, uh, that had conquered the known world, stay. Uh, so Paul is given incredible safety. Uh, but I remind you, it's quite remarkable to me uh, that God is truly the commander of the Roman legions, unbeknownst to the legionnaires, to be sure. Uh, so uh, the great king, uh, David, knew of God's presence in good times and bad times. And you and I must know the same. It's one thing to acknowledge, well, Christ is my Savior, so he's my prophet, priest, and king. But it's entirely different when you're in the midst of a very evil, difficult time in life, uh, as Paul is, and as others are. Uh, the great uh, theology of uh, David, uh, when he writes of the great shepherd king, if you want to turn in your Old Testament to Psalm 23, uh, a very well-known psalm to all of us, uh, it's a psalm that speaks to God's actions in David's life uh, in immediate events, but it's probably also an eschatological psalm that applies to each one of us in all of our events, reminding us that God is going to get us to heaven because he's our great shepherd king too. Uh, let's, let's read Psalm 23, verses 4 to 6. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They are anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, so difficult times uh, came to David. Uh, difficult times have uh, come uh, to the Apostle Paul. And uh, you and I are always going to go through difficult times. But David acknowledges God's presence. So should we. Uh, his shepherd has a rod and a staff to comfort him. Uh, in my own mind, it's telling me that uh, our Savior is armed and dangerous to protect his sheep. Uh, there follows the protection, interestingly enough, uh, a great uh, a great celebration because his shepherd uh, prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. He's anointed his head, his cup runs over. Uh, not unlike our own culture, we celebrate special times with meals. It's very interesting to me that the evil see it. I think in some way when God blesses us in eternity, with all of his manifest goodness and the glory that we achieve through the goodness of God, uh, the wicked will know it and perhaps in some way see it. We will be celebrating while they will be in anguish. I mean, it's almost a compelling reason to sue the Savior for peace and to change sides. Come to him. Confess your sin. Believe and hope in Him and Him alone. Because His side will always win. 
his side will always celebrate. Uh, remind yourself of that when you're going through difficult times. Uh, that David's meal is in the presence of his enemies and his cup never, never runs out. Uh, eschatologically, our enemies will have some measure of understanding of this. will form part of their anguish uh, while you and I are celebrating. Because God will always rescue us. He will always vindicate us. Uh, because he has chosen us and we are on his side. More importantly, he is on our side. Reminded to us, uh, not only from the psalm, but... Uh, from Acts 23, that safety and God go together. God commands the Roman army protect the Apostle Paul from 40 wicked men. Really, uh, 40 men against over 200 Roman soldiers, the most powerful army of the day, we know their end. Uh, and Sadly, the wicked should know their end as well. It's very uh, powerful to me when David writes, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, goodness and mercy are two of the attributes of God. They form a vanguard and rear guard, leading David all the way to glory. Clearing the way, if you will, to get him to glory to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, in difficult times, I remind you that God and safety go together. God is our vanguard and rear guard. He will get us to glory. The shepherd uh, leads and uh, follows his sons in protection. It's exactly what's happening in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I remind you, uh, not too far distant from this text, that uh, Paul's going to sense and be in the midst of incredible danger. I mean, at one point, he's going to be in a terrific storm in a very small boat. God's going to rescue him. Because the great prophet has told him that he's going to get to Rome. And so not even a violent storm can stop the will of God because that is the will of God to protect his own. Immediate for us, it's uh, the great promise that respecting our souls, nothing can get at us. Absolutely nothing can get at the souls of those who belong to the Savior Jesus Christ. Great reminder to me of this in one of my favorite psalms. Uh, it's a pilgrim psalm. I'm sure you are familiar with it. Uh, psalm 121, if you uh, would like to turn there. This was a psalm that the pilgrims would sing on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the great pilgrim feasts. Uh, and uh, it was a time of danger. Uh, their households would be left uh, absent their presence. Um, the journeys were difficult. There were no days in. Uh, there was no chicken doodle to stop and get breakfast. Uh, 
Sometimes I'm sure there were brigands along the way. They would sing this psalm as a reminder that someone else was in the way with them. Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's very interesting that the word for guard is a military term for protection. If you will, we have a guard. That guard is Jesus Christ. Who's going to guard our way, keep our souls. A guard that is infinite. Eternal, ever-present, all-knowing, keeping our souls all along the way. Uh, the word for God is used uh, three times in just these two verses. Uh, uh, you and I know that verse 8 is a merism. He will guard your going out and your coming in. The, the psalmist deposits two extremes. Uh, figure of speech, but he really means everything in between. The majesty of God's guard given to us. That's why God and safety go together. Our souls are safe. Absolutely safe. Why is that, you ask? Because we have a guard who is armed and dangerous to protect his own. The Apostle Paul has two centuries, over 200 Roman soldiers to protect his way and his deliverance to Caesarea. He's going to get there. He's also going to get to Rome because God is going to guard and protect him. By divine intervention, our souls are safe. Now, I'm not suggesting, as you know, in terms of physical deliverance, that you and I won't face danger and sometimes perhaps be even overtaken by it. The particular point of the promise is our souls are safe. We live in a very dangerous world. Uh, we live in a world that I happen to believe is becoming more and more dangerous to the church of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with our souls. We're safe. Because safety and God go together to those who belong to the Savior. And so our great king delivers Paul uh, to expand his kingdom. And we know this from Acts 23 and verse 11. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to me and my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. At that point, the destiny of the Apostle Paul is sealed. He is going to, to Rome and absolutely nothing can stop that. Uh, not 40 overzealous men. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, not even a very powerful hurricane in open sea. Paul is going to get to Rome to be a witness in Rome. A great reminder. Uh, uh, the concept of witness is, if you will, a thread that's being pulled from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. God tells his apostles, but he also tells us, you are my witnesses. Ultimately comes, as you know, from the prophet uh, Isaiah, but 
uh, it's an eschatological fulfillment that the gospel is going to the Gentiles and the gospel is going to gather Gentiles into the kingdom of God and nothing can stop it. The great power of God advancing His witness. And nothing can get in His way. Uh, reminded of the great text in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9. They will not hurt to destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's going to happen. Happening now. The knowledge of the Lord is going to advance. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can prevent it. God's going to bless His Word. He's going to gather His entire church and none will be lost. Uh, it's one of the privileges. Paul had a distinct privilege as a citizen of Rome. You and I have a greater privilege to be the sons of God. As the Roman army is going to be marshaled to protect, to protect Paul, all of heaven is marshaled to protect our way and our entrance into glory. Nothing can stop it. It's an irrevocable path that you and I are set upon because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that the witnessing for Christ can be a dangerous event. That's really why Paul is in danger. Uh, the forces of evil are really trying to intimidate Paul. Paul, if you will just shut up, we will leave you alone. But when God appoints you to be a witness, you cannot. You must witness. It's a divine appointment. But you say, Bower socks, it's going to bring danger upon me. Well, safety and God go together. Be a witness. God's providence has ordained uh, His knowledge to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, what a joy and glory it is to be a witness of God, to bear forth and to carry His name, and to know that we are safe all along the way. So, uh, our Savior uh, is the great prophet. Uh, he tells us that our souls are secure. Nothing can change that. When you belong to the Savior, nothing can change that. Uh, the text also reminds us that our Savior is king over all. Uh, even uh, the Roman infantry. Uh, and he's going to marshal the Roman infantry to protect the apostle. It's also an implicit reminder that our Savior is the great priest who intercedes uh, to the Heavenly Father, respecting uh, His sons. Uh, the Savior is uh, always in the presence of God the Father, uh, bearing forth the name of those who belong to Him, praying for us. Uh, it's a great joy to me because... Uh, God the Father will always answer the prayers of God the Son. They are, if you will, effectual prayers. It breaks in this passage because Paul is going to get to Rome. He is safe. And it is our profound joy as the sons of God uh, 
that when times are pleasant, we can rejoice. Uh, And when times turn against us, we have the great comfort, the great hope of the knowledge of our great prophet, priest, and king. And the greater reality respecting our souls that God and safety are intertwined always by the oath taken of God the Son to gather all of God's children and to see them safely home. That's a great occasion to praise our great God uh, throughout our lives in good times and bad. And may God provoke within us that joy uh, all, all the days of our life.